We are studying, as you can tell from our banners, the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that was preached by Jesus 2,000 years ago that essentially is a manifesto of what Jesus most wanted his followers to be and to do. If you want to know what it looks like, how it comes to expression in your own life, in terms of what it is to follow Jesus, this is a good place to start. If you are with us this morning and you are unsure about following Jesus personally, uh, we are so glad that you're with us. And we hope that you find here on Tuesday morning the space and the honesty and the encouragement to learn more about the God that we worship here. Okay, I'm going to read the passage as we do every, every morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll dig in. And then afterwards, if this is your first time, we'll get together in groups around the tables and talk about the passage um, together. Let me, let me read our passage from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, then how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning, and we pray by the power of your Spirit that you would be very near and that we would sense your nearness. Oh God, that you would open your word to us, and most importantly, open our hearts to your word. Help us to know what it is to live under it, to be formed and shaped by it, oh God. Help us to know what it means to love you above all else. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've heard the parable of uh, the Mexican fisherman. It's not in the Bible anywhere, <laughs> New Testament or anything like that. But it is worthy of an introduction to our passage this morning. An American businessman was, on the, was at the pier of a coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked next to the village. And the businessman uh, saw the man get out, and inside the boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American businessman complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish, and he asked him, you know, how long did it take you to go out there and to catch all those fish? The Mexican replied, you know, just a little while, only a little while. The American then asked why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish. And the Mexican replied, well, he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. And the American asked, well, what do you do with all of your other time? The Mexican replied, well, I sleep late, fish a little bit, I play with my kids, take siestas with my wife, I stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine and play guitar with my amigos, I have a very full and busy life. The American scoffed, well, I am a Harvard MBA. And that's, that's always going to go bad for you, right? You know, they, they always pick on the Harvard MBAs. Where's Jeffrey? Not here this morning. He says, I'm a Harvard MBA. I can help you. You should spend more time fishing. You should work harder and longer. And with the earnings, you know, you could buy a bigger boat. And with the earnings from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. And eventually, before you know it, you would have a whole fleet of boats, fishing boats. Well, what then, the Mexican asks. 
Well, instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would, you, know, you would sell directly to the processor. And eventually, you would open your own cannery. You would control the product, the processing, and the distribution. Of course, in order for that to happen and to do it well, you'd have to move from this small coastal fishing village and perhaps move to Mexico City at first, and then eventually to New York or LA where you could run your expanding enterprise. To which the Mexican fisherman replied, well, how long will all of this take? The American businessman said, look, if you do this well, 15 to 20 years tops, 15 to 20 years. What then, asked the Mexican? Well, the American laughed and said, this is the best part. When the time is right, you announce an IPO. You sell your company to the public and you become very, very rich. You would make millions, millions? The Mexican replied, that's amazing. But what then? The American said, well, then you'd retire. You'd move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late, <laughs> fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll to the village in the evening where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos and have a happy life. Funny, 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 funny. <laughs> Now, look, um, I don't want some of you, look, I, the parable is a short story, and it's not meant to undermine all the good that the Mexican fisherman could potentially do for his employees and all the generosity he could provide should he take the other course. The, the parable is simply a story meant to help us think about what matters most, right? What is it in your life? What, what is it that ultimately matters most? You achieve a personal goal. You work hard, you strive, you reach, you extend yourself, and, and for what? The Mexican fisherman asked, what then? What then? What should be the one vision that all of your ambition hears and obeys? That's a question that Jesus himself takes up in our passage this morning in the form of three very short parables. And to read these parables well, we're going to have to do something um, that demands a little bit of attention from, from us, we're going to have to zoom out for a moment and think big picture. Okay? Zoom out and think big picture, which admittedly is not always um, a fun exercise in a world that is hurried and busy and expedient. It's far easier to hurry from one task to the next in obedience to the calendar than it is to stop and to ask the why question that lies beneath all of our hustle. But that's what Jesus wants us to do this morning, to zoom out for a moment, to think about the big picture, and then at the very end we'll zoom back in and think more closely about what all this has to do with our daily lives. Three questions for us this morning along the journey in these passages. The first is this, what matters most according to Jesus? What matters most? Seems like an important question. How can we be sure? Um, what do we hold on to for certainty about what matters most? What matters most, and then how can we be sure? How can we be so sure that what Jesus says is not hyperbole or rhetoric this morning? And then finally, how do we stay focused in the midst of the hustle of daily life? How do we stay focused? Look, I'm sure you're busy. How do we stay focused on what matters most so that we can give our attention daily uh, to the object of our search, to the object of our lives as it belongs? instead of just moving from one task to the next. First of all, what matters most? Look again with me at the first parable. You'll find it there in your handout, uh, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. 
But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys but where, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So you have the verb here that uh, Jesus uses. Is the verb translated, I think, in your handout, lay up. Is that what it says? Lay up there in your handout? In most other translations, it's, it's, uh, it's translated as store up. But I think you get the picture either way. This is the language of investment. This is the idiom of ambition and work and energy, okay? And it's important just as a side note to point out that concepts like ambition and investment, concepts that are very much at home in our world, right, in Dallas, that they also have a critical place to play, a critical part to play in the life of a disciple. What do you mean by that? Well, isn't ambition bad? Isn't ambition bad? Well, ambition can be bad when it's misdirected, but let me tell you this. Not having ambition is always bad. Okay? Not having ambition is always bad. This is why you'll never hear Jesus correcting ambition by saying, don't do it. Don't care. Never. And historically, it's why Christianity has always judged the lack of ambition to be among one of the chief sins. Okay? Um, The seven deadly sins which was supposed to be a list um, that sort of got at the source of where all our wickedness comes from. One of those sins is sloth, acedia in the Latin, which essentially means a diminished desire for greatness. It is apathy of spirit. I might say it like this just to sort of shock us this morning. If you are not interested in becoming a great man, then you should not be a Christian. If you are not interested in becoming a great man, then you should not be a Christian. Because that is exactly what Jesus is interested in making you into, a great man. One writer puts it like this, either we are called to greatness or we are not called at all. Either we are are called to greatness or we are not called at all. Now listen, I get this. Jesus' idea of greatness is radically different from the world's pattern. Per his words in Luke 22, he says, let the greatest among you become as what? The least, right? And as the leader as one who serves. So Jesus has a radically different vision of greatness, but make no mistake, Jesus is interested in your life right now and making you into a great man. And he tells us here how that happens. You need to direct your ambition, your strenuous effort, and your earnest attention toward treasures in heaven. Your ambition, your strenuous effort, your serious attention should be directed towards treasures in heaven as opposed to, he says, treasures on earth. So what does that mean? Uh, What is heaven? What is heaven? And what are the treasures that belong to heaven? You know, Jesus talks a lot about heaven, especially in this sermon, so we need to be very clear this morning about what heaven is and what it's not. So let me clear up a couple things for us, okay? First of all, just let me get the obvious out of the way. When the biblical writers talk about heaven, they do not have space travel in mind, okay? Never occurred to them to think about uh, going up in space somewhere, that heaven was in space. You say, Chad, why do we always look up then when we talk about heaven? Not because up is the literal direction of heaven, 
but because symbolically we internally recognize that heaven itself is a place that is beyond us. Like the stars above. Like the vastness of the sky. Like something that we can't, um, the mystery of what we cannot see or touch. Heaven transcends our world. We can't just access it by choice. Heaven is a world that is beyond our own. But second, according to the Bible, heaven is not just a future destination. Now we often get trapped, especially I think as religious people, we get trapped into thinking of heaven on those terms because we talk a lot about going to heaven after we die. But heaven is a present reality. Heaven is where God is right now with other creatures. Heaven is very much present. So where is it? Where is heaven? Heaven is the place outside of our world where God fully dwells. The easiest way to say it is this. Heaven is the home of God. Heaven is the home of God. You'll remember that Jesus teaches us to pray just a few verses back. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is not only the place where God dwells, it is the place where God's will is done without any opposition whatsoever. Well, if God is there, if God is in a world outside of our own called heaven, and we are here at our own space and time, how in the world do those worlds connect? How, how, does, um, how close is heaven to us? How does heaven interact? How does it intersect with our world? And listen, I know this may seem like a rabbit trail this morning, but let me show you why this matters. Jesus says that the most important thing in your life today is to store up treasures in heaven. But seriously, how often do you think about heaven as the aim of your daily ambitions? Not as the place that you hope to go in the future, but as the, a present reality parallel to your life right now that shapes for you right now both your heart and your will. How often? How often do you think about heaven that way? Now, I think most of us assume that heaven is far away, and if, if heaven is far away, then here's what happens. Inevitably what happens is this great divide opens up between the sacred, the presence of God, and the secular. Our work, our marriages, the real life of what's going on inside of our families and our hearts. But the Bible tells a very different story. The Bible continually tells the story of heaven being very, very close to us. Very near to us. Read the Old Testament sometime. Abraham meets God and he talks to him. Moses stands on holy ground before a bush that is burning but not consumed. Israel is led by God by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They are commanded to construct a makeshift home for God called the tabernacle in which God himself will dwell on earth that eventually gives way to the temple in Jerusalem. And then you have the most incredulous intersection of heaven and earth of all. God adorns himself in our flesh. God becomes a bodily part of our world. Jesus Christ comes and he calls himself the true temple. And though innocent, Jesus dies a criminal's death. He is resurrected in power and in justice after three days. 
And then Jesus ascends in the flesh, in the body, to the right hand of God the Father. He says, for your sake. Jesus says before he goes, it is to your advantage. How could that be? It is to your advantage that he is no longer with you in the body. How is that so? Why is it to our advantage that Jesus now sits on the right hand of God the Father in body, in heaven? So that as he says, he can send his spirit, the very spirit of God, to bring the power of heaven, not just near to you, not just close to you, but to actually put heaven inside of you. That heaven itself would dwell in you as a holy temple. That God himself would make you, you where you sit, the intersection of heaven and earth, where God calls home. The Apostle Paul says the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And his point is that heaven has made its way inside of you. That's our story. It's our story. It's all to say you can't think of heaven as a distant place or a future reality. Heaven is, heaven is near. Heaven is now. And Jesus is in heaven reigning in the treasures that you are called to invest your life in. The treasures that I am called to invest my life in are the moments of living obedience when our lives say to God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are those treasures? What are the, the things that God himself treasures most? They're treasures of forgiveness, treasures of love, treasures of adoration and praise, treasures of generosity, of justice, of beauty, of faith. Here's the way to think about it. The treasures that are stored up in heaven are treasures that actually bring more of the reality of heaven down into our fallen world. So perhaps the question for us this morning is this, are you heaven-bent on bringing the good of God's presence into your world today? Into a world that is in so desperate need of it? That is the vision, Jesus says, that all of our ambition should hear and obey. Heaven practiced on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Invest there. Invest your time, your resources, your heart, your attention, your imagination here in treasures that belong to heaven. Well, second, how can we be sure? How can we be sure? In other words, here's a question. Look, how do we know for certain? You know, Jesus, he can be sort of hyperbolic at times. He says, look, if your right eye causes you to sin, what are you supposed to do? Poke it out, right? I don't see anyone poking out their eye, right? You know, so... How do we know that this isn't just hyperbole? That Jesus isn't just sort of trying to move us in a certain direction? And if it is true, what, what do we hold on to for daily certainty when, let's be honest, the treasures of earth are so incredibly compelling? I mean, think about it. Earth has magazine covers, right? Earth has billboards. Earth has the marketplace. Earth has the neighborhood chatter to tell us what matters most. What emblem can heaven offer in return to commend heaven to our hearts and to counter what earth has to offer? The Apostle Paul writes this in his letter to the Colossian Christians. He writes, For in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. We just talked about that. And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace there by the blood of his cross. 
And what Paul is saying is that the cross of Jesus Christ is the cosmic instrument. It is the cosmic emblem that reconciles heaven to earth and that commends heaven to you repeatedly, that holds heaven in front of you. Let me give you another example. Do you know what the first thing that Matthew does in his story of the good news of Jesus um, when Jesus breathes his last breath on the cross? Matthew says, look, Jesus, he died, he gave up his spirit, and did you know what he does next? He says, behold, in other words, look over here. The curtain of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom. What was the temple? It was the place of God's presence. What was the curtain? The thing that kept you out. (laughs) And Matthew is implicitly saying that the cross has made a way for you to come into the inner storeroom. The cross has made a way for you to come into the sanctuary. The cross has made a way for you to be open to dwell even now in the presence of God. The point being this, that the cross itself is the emblem of heaven. Do do you want something that will grip your heart and that will counter in your imagination what earth has to offer you? It's the cross. The cross commends heaven to us as our greatest ambition because the cross preaches to us that God has made us his greatest ambition. Do you see that? That God himself who art in heaven, God himself who dwells in heaven, He gave up his heavenly treasure, his only son, to bring you to dwell with him, to make you into a treasure, to bring you into heaven. Look, earth can't love you like that. (laughs) Nothing on earth that you pursue can love you in the way that heaven has already loved you this morning. How can you be certain that the storehouse of heaven is the most important thing that you can live for? Well, it's because the cost... (laughs) of what God himself paid to open that storehouse to you, to make you into his treasure. Use the cross, cling to the cross. The cross is the instrument for your imagination to remind you of what matters most. Finally, this morning, how do we train ourselves practically? I said we'd go big and come small, Um, we'd focus out and then in. So how do we train ourselves to live for heaven right now? in the midst of the distractions, the midst of our daily hustle, in the midst of the reality that we're all busy. It's our favorite word to describe ourselves. Isn't how are you doing today? I'm busy. I'm busy, right? How do we stay focused? Three things from these short parables, one from each parable. The first parable tells us this. To stay focused on what matters most, we have to cultivate our inner lives. Men, we have to cultivate an inner life of prayer and communion with God. You say, where do you get that from? Well, let's, let's look there for a moment. One commentator points out the connection here between the language. Okay, remember this is all happening in chapter 6. The language between storing up treasure here in the first parable and the image of a storeroom, if you remember that, the image of a storeroom just a few verses back in the passage on prayer. So I don't expect you to remember. So I'm going to read it to you. I didn't remember either, okay? Um, Jesus says this in 6.6. When you pray, go into the what? It says closet. It's also storeroom. It's the same sort of word, okay? Go into the storeroom. The inner storeroom is the place you could lock from the inside, okay? And that's sort of why it says lock it from the inside. It was the inner place where things were kept safe. Go into the storeroom and pray to your Father in, uh, in heaven who is in secret. And so from that same person comes this probing question, storing up treasure 
is an action that has to do with the financial aspects of life. Okay, not only with making a living, but with making a great profit and providing a secure future. And he asked this, do we apply the same meticulous care as a competent businessman does, the same meticulous care to the cultivation of the inner treasure, to a life of prayer and communion with God? Do we apply the same meticulous care to knowing and loving God in prayer? How do you stay focused on what matters most? How do you stay focused? Cultivate the inner life of prayer and enjoyment and love for God. Be with Him. Be with Him. He has opened heaven to you. Be with Him. Number two, second parable. Not only does Jesus stress the cultivation of our inner lives, but also the health of our vision. Okay? The health of our vision. Second parable goes like this. Jesus starts, the eye is the lamp of the body. All right, the eye is the lamp of the body. That is this. Set your eye, Jesus' point, what you set your eye on, right? What you set your vision on, your imagination, that object or horizon will determine your life. And if your vision is healthy, if you set your eye on something healthy, then your life will be full of light. But if your vision is diseased, then how, how great the darkness. You want to get practical here? Here's the practical question. What are your goals? What are your goals? What do you write down? What, what do you stick uh, on your phone, on a note? What do you stick in front of your computer? What do you dream about? What do you reach for? What do you imagine? Ask a person for his goals, and there you will find his gods. One person put it like this. Uh, in the Old Testament, you hear the command, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, Jesus brings it closer to home here and says, you shall have no other goals before me. Ask a person his goals, and there you will find his gods. Why does he say that? Because your real goals will get your energy, your time, your creativity. Your real goals will get the best part of who you are. And so we're, we're supposed to ask ourselves, do they have anything to do with heaven? <laughs> do our real goals have anything at all to do with heaven? And you think, well, that's kind of a hard thing to think about. I mean, really a hard thing to do, right? I mean, I can make a goal to cut the grass, or I can make a goal to... I don't know, uh, for a certain bottom line, but how in the world, how in the world do I make a goal about heaven? That is a great question. And it's a great question for you to ask God in prayer. And that prayer might sound something like this. Oh Lord, you have said in your word that you want my vision to belong to you in heaven. Will you please show me what that means? Are you courageous enough to pray that? If you pray that, ask for courage to do it. Oh, Lord, you have said that you want my vision set in heaven. Will you show me what that means? Show me how to discern the treasures of heaven, the goals of heaven, where you've called me right now. Give me a healthy eye that my whole body might be full of light. Cultivate the inner life. Set your vision heavenward. Then finally, to stay focused on what matters most, we have to actively renounce the gods of this world. That is strong language, but this is strong language. We have to actively renounce the gods of this world, and especially mammon. Especially mammon. The third parable, once again, to you. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, your translation may say money in the, in the, in the lower case. Um, that's a little deceiving because that's not really how the text reads. The whole text is in Greek. 
Okay, and all of a sudden, this word mammon, which is an Aramaic word, is left untranslated in Aramaic. And the reason is, is it gets the character of a proper noun. All right, it takes on a name. And what Jesus is saying is that it, whatever you serve will take on a power, a personal power in your life. You might as well name it if you're serving it and living for it, because it will take on that kind of power in your life. And friends, let me tell you this. While there are many gods in this world, there are many gods in this world. You can, you know, uh, Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories. You can make a god out of anything. <laughs> Congratulations. It's not the compliment you wanted this morning, probably. You can make a god out of anything. There are many gods in this world. There are only two in Scripture that I know of that get personified. The first is lust in the form of an adulterous woman in Proverbs 7. Her words dripping with honey, her beckoning you to come and live with her to leave your old life. And the second is mammon. The second here is mammon in the form of a rival master to God. What does that mean? Maybe nothing, but maybe something. <laughs> maybe it means that you got to be careful. You got to be careful. The siren song of lust and wealth. Now, Jesus does not here say that having money, having possessions is wrong. It's serving. It's when money becomes mammon in your life. When that small M goes to a capital M, right? When it takes on the power of a personal name. And the point is that if you don't think it's a problem with you, you've already lost. <laughs> and Jesus says it's a God of the world. It has, it has tremendous power in your life. I don't care whether you have it or not. It has tremendous power in your life, so be warned. Active and regular resistance to the gods, but especially mammon, is needed if we are to fully come alive in the service of God. Jesus says you can't live for heaven and live for mammon at the same time. But the whole point of these three parables is, of course, why would you want to? Like, why would you want to? You know, Jesus never really speaks to our mind as much as he does our hearts. He does both. But here he's really speaking to our hearts. And the question he's asking you is, why would you want to serve mammon? Why would you want to store up treasures on earth when all that you are searching for in those treasures, security, acceptance, joy, permanence, all that you hope for in earthly treasures, all those things can be undone by such little powers like moths and rust and petty thieves. Why do you want heaven when Jesus has opened up the store? Why do you want earth when Jesus has opened up the storeroom of heaven to you? Jesus says, only heaven is strong enough for the ambition that God has placed inside of you. Only heaven, where God dwells, is big enough for the greatness to which God himself has called you. And only heaven in the end has come for you. Only heaven has claimed you as its treasure. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time this morning. We do pray that we would hear something that impacts us and that you would focus us on what matters most and that you would show us what that means daily, Father. I pray that we would leave here with some, some sense of, um, of what it means to be called to greatness, uh, of what it means to renounce a diminished desire for greatness in the things of the world. Um, Lord, be with us at our tables. We know that even, even now heaven and earth are intersecting in this room. And so we pray, God, that you would give us more of yourself, that wherever we go today, we might bring more of the heavenly reality into our earthly reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.